It's a privilege to be with you all this morning. Uh, we're going to be opening up God's Word together. Um, we're going to be taking a look at 1 John, the first four verses of the first chapter. Uh, so if you want to follow along, go ahead and be turning there. 1 John is towards the end of your Bibles, right before, get this, Second and Third John, um, which is right before Jude and Revelation. So start from the end, turn that way, you'll get back to 1 John eventually. So let's read the uh, first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray and ask God to guide our time together this morning. Father in heaven, it is only by your spirit that we can understand and apply anything from your word. We ask that you would guide us this morning into a deeper joy that comes from the fellowship with you through Christ our Savior. Lord, be honored as we listen to and we submit to and we apply your word. And please help me, your servant, in need of great grace this morning to explain it clearly. Give us ears to hear your word and a heart that is open to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is the true meaning of Christmas? Most Americans seem to know that it has something to do with Jesus, uh, but if you'd ask people how they plan on celebrating or what Christmas means to them, there's no doubt you'd get a variety of answers. And maybe it's about spending time with loved ones. Maybe it's about giving, or for some, it's about getting. Or resting, relaxing, reflecting um, on the year. Maybe Christmas is that time to finally be nice to the person that drives you crazy. Because as many movies have put it, it's Christmas. There was a newspaper writer that that said this. um, Said that Christmas is merely an excuse to celebrate. And this is what he said. Winter often gets cold, it gets dark earlier, trees have lost their leaves and appear dead. This is a depressing time of year. And that can only mean one thing, it's time to party. The true meaning of Christmas is to cheer people up during a cold and depressing time of year. Wow. If that's all that Christmas is about, then I've got bad news. Partying only goes so far in cheering people up. And it's a cheer that just won't last. So let's be real. Maybe when you saw the title of this message this morning and you saw the true meaning of Christmas, you're thinking, oh great, another talk about why we shouldn't say Xmas, why we shouldn't mention Santa, and why the retailers have commercialized our holiday. They've stolen it from us. Just a heads up, that's not at all what I'm going to be saying this morning. That's not at all where I'm going to be going. Um, In fact... 
I love Christmas. I start listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving even starts. I love that. Don't shake your head at me. I love the lights. I love the decorations. Uh, <laughs> and um, when I, taking the Greek classes in seminary gives me a great appreciation for the abbreviation Xmas. Um, I love the snow even though today it's kind of getting in our way a little bit. Um, and it's rare down south, and it's even more rare down under. Last year, 100 degree heat on Christmas. You won't miss that. I love a cup of coffee by the fire, even if it's a fake fire on TV. Um, and Santa and all the other cultural creations, they don't bring my Christmas down. They don't offend me. They don't get in the way. And why is that, do you ask? Because of the true meaning of Christmas. If you'd ask somebody that grew up in a church with a true meaning of Christmas, you might get something that, okay, Christmas is about Jesus. And of course, they wouldn't be wrong. But really, when we ask the question, what is the true meaning of Christmas, we want to take it one step further. We want to take it one step deeper. We know Christmas is about Jesus. But the real question is, what does that actually mean? So I'm going to throw a big word at you real quick. Probably, probably most of you will know it. Some maybe not. Um, Mark already used it earlier. Incarnation. Incarnation. What does that mean? Incarnation refers to the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, taking on human flesh in the man Jesus Christ. When the people say the incarnation, that's a reference to the actual event of Christ's birth. And yes, that's the central event we celebrate in Christmas. But it's one thing to say we celebrate Jesus' birth and then get lost in the festivities and uh, some of the nostalgia of the memories of the season, whether they're good or bad. And it's another thing to, to say, well, what does it actually mean that God became incarnate? John, in his gospel, makes it clear in chapter 1, verse 14. You may know it well. Um, and he says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that's why sometimes we refer to Jesus as the incarnate Word of God. So maybe, the, the title was just a little bit of a distraction, maybe the better question is, what is the true meaning of the incarnation? This helps us to take a step back from the season's cultural and traditional elements that can distract us, which again, I'm not saying are totally wrong to enjoy. But it helps us to focus on what it means that God became man in Jesus. And this is where John takes us in his first letter, which is our passage today, the true meaning of Christmas. He may not have all the details in there of surrounding Christ's birth, but he sure tells us what it means. That Christ came to give us fellowship and joy. Christ came to give us fellowship and joy. Let's consider just the context of 1 John for a second. Um, that helps us to understand the passage if we kind of know the context surrounding it. Uh, John is a man who walked side by side with Jesus so intimately that he's known as the beloved disciple, one of the three in Jesus' inner circle. Uh, John gets to witness Jesus' miracles, his daily life, his trial, his death, and even his resurrection. 
John's last experience with Christ on earth is, is the Great Commission where Jesus says to tell the whole world about him. For decades, John does just that. And later in life, he writes this letter, which is a letter to Christians circulated in the area. Um, and he's encouraging this, them to stand firm in their faith. Uh, there, there was some false teaching going around that was threatening the church. And, and John wants his fellow believers, some of them very young, to remember the basics. That Christ is God, that he came in the flesh, he died for the sins, for their sins, rose to rule and reign with God the Father. And through him and only him, we have eternal life, the love of the Father, and those two key words, fellowship and joy. John is a most credible and authoritative witness to be testifying to the Incarnation. So, let's jump in to verse 1. Again, we've already read it, but we're going to kind of slowly work through this passage. And this, this morning we'll see the first point is that Christ really came. So starting back in verse, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Okay, so although the name of Christ isn't mentioned in those first two verses, it's really clear from the context that John is talking about Jesus. You can kind of compare the first few verses of this letter to the first few verses of John's gospel. And you really get to see some parallel language referring to Christ. He's called the Word. He's called the Word of Life. The Word made flesh. And here, the life made manifest. These are terms and titles that are applied to God the Son that really just serve to elevate our view and our recognition of His divinity and His pre-existence with God the Father before the world was ever created. Jesus has been with the Father even before creation. And now, John is saying, Jesus has come to earth. In this Christmas season, like I mentioned, we talk about the details of Christ's birth, the shepherds, the manger, Mary and Joseph, the stars. And no doubt some of these details have been stretched a little bit and confused over the years. But let's not forget that this is a story. This is an event that actually happened. Jesus, God the Son, was actually born. He came and walked among us in the flesh. Do you believe that this morning? For some of us in the room, that actually may be the most basic question to consider. Is do you believe that God came and walked among us? For the last 2,000 years, uh, groups and movements have questioned that. Uh, they've questioned the basic facts surrounding Jesus' life, his birth, his death, his resurrection. It's not a new debate. Even in John's time, as you can see, people were doubting the incarnation. And so John says in his letter, make no mistake, it actually happened. We heard it, we saw it, and we even touched. And let me tell you what this means. And so I believe he is summarizing the massive implications of the Christmas story in just these four verses. So if you think about this for a second, a friend comes up and says, dude, 
I just heard that the president's in town. Let's go see him. You say, oh, I don't know about that. Really? The president and Anderson, what would he be doing here? And so you're, you're just kind of pretty skeptical. So what if he comes back later and he says, seriously, I went downtown and I saw him. He's eating dinner. He's really here. This is a chance to go meet him. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe you're mistaken. You're, you're seeing some different things. You, you didn't actually see the president. But then he says this. He says, the president is downtown. I heard he was nearby. I went and I saw him. I even shook his hand. Suddenly you start to think, okay, maybe this guy actually knows what he's talking about. Um, maybe he's actually telling me the truth. Would you believe in them? What John's doing here is he's showing just how vivid and real his experience with Jesus was. He's elevating the level of credibility from the first level of just hearing about something, which, you know, you may or may not be willing to believe. And then you hear somebody say they saw it, and it's like, okay, that's a little bit more reliable. But then they're saying they touched, they experienced Jesus firsthand. And it is hard to mistake somebody when you shake their hand and when you touch after seeing and hearing. And, and John is not the only one. He's saying that many heard, many saw, and many touched Jesus in the flesh. And so you may wonder, why is this so important? Why are you making such a big deal that Jesus came as a man? Yes, he is God, but if he came as a man, doesn't that reduce his divinity? In short, no, it doesn't. <laughs> the teaching of the Bible is that God is both fully God and fully man. Colossians 2.9 says, In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And truthfully, that blows my mind. Um, it should. Uh, maybe that, that kind of blows your mind a little bit. Uh, but as we see in Isaiah 55, God's ways are higher than our ways. So that actually gives me great comfort because I just know how limited my knowledge is. So if you think about this, what... What kind of God would we have if you could put him in a box and understand every little detail about his character and about his purposes? That would be a pretty small God. But that is not the God that we have. Check out Exodus 33. Go ahead and turn there. Verse 18. God is so big... And so glorious that when Moses says this, please show me your glory, God responds in verse 19 of Exodus 33 saying this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy but you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. One reason the incarnation of Christ is such a big deal is that it allows us to see the glory of God in a way that doesn't destroy us. If you compare that Exodus passage to the passage we already read in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his what? His glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So glory in Jesus that is full 
And yet, by the grace and the creativity of our God, it's a glory that we can actually behold. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I came across this illustration that Tim Keller when he's, uses when he's trying to explain this passage. Uh, he says, Consider the sun, the S-U-N, the sun that's barely out this morning. Uh, the sun is so bright and it's so overwhelming that we cannot look straight at it without it blinding us. Instead, we need a filter. We need a cloudy day, like today. We need a tinted window, sunglasses, or a high-powered telescope. And then, and only then, can we catch a glimpse of the true glory of the sun. The Bible tells us that in looking at the sun, the S-O-N, Jesus we can finally catch a glimpse of the glory of God without it consuming us. We catch a glimpse of of God's character, of his heart, his purposes, and the extent that he will go to for his children to be in a personal and intimate relationship with him. And the only way that this can happen is through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which is what we more commonly call Christmas. So if the incarnation is truly vital, if Christ really came, which is the first point we see in this passage, what do John and his companions do with this message? They keep it to themselves and they kind of hide it from others. Or No, that's not what we see in the passage. We see that they proclaim it. If you look at the book of Acts, this message changes the world. Calling people from all over to faith and repentance in Christ. So our second point this morning is Christ is widely proclaimed. So if you look at verse 2, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So since we learned that the intended uh, readers of this letter that was being circulated um, were Christians, there was a point in time where John and or his companions had proclaimed Christ to them for the very first time. And so now what John is doing is he's writing an ongoing proclamation. And it's a reminder of their initial proclamation. He's saying, remember what we told you in the beginning. It is still true. No matter what anyone else says, Keep walking in the faith. Keep walking with Christ. And so if you read the rest of the letter, it's an ongoing encouragement of what walking and abiding in Christ actually looks like. And we can learn so much from John's testimony and his passion and his eagerness to proclaim Christ, but also that John and his companions were committed to following up with and checking in to seeing how their, their friends, their brothers and sisters in Christ were doing. So a few questions to ask ourselves this morning. Are you committed to telling others about Jesus? Simple question, convicting question, as I ask that of myself. Are you committed to telling others about Jesus? Are you committed to following up with him down the road? And what John would say is, are you so committed to this that no matter what opposition comes, because it has and it will, 
that you're committed to proclaiming the truth no matter the cost. It could be said that our commitment to sharing the news about Christ correlates with the depth of our conviction for being his disciple and following him and taking him at his word. Listen to Matthew Henry's observation. It's printed in your bulletin about this proclamation. He says, The apostles declared what they had heard and seen, that believers might share their comforts and the everlasting advantages. They had free access to God the Father, which is mind-blowing. And they had a happy experience of the truth in their souls. And they showed its excellence in their lives. If Christ has really come, if Christ is widely proclaimed to Jew and Gentile alike, what is the result? Because I believe the result would be the answer to what is the true meaning of the incarnation and what is the true meaning of Christmas. John has said it before, but the result of embracing Christ is that Christ transforms your life radically and eternally. So I'm going to suggest two words to summarize as our third point. Well, they're actually not my words. They're God's words because they come straight from the Bible. Starting back in verse 3 of our passage today, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that... He's pretty clear here. You want to know what Christmas means? You want to know why the incarnation is such a big deal? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Fellowship and joy. You see this big joy sign we put behind Christ came, again, Christ came so that we can have fellowship and joy. When you read through the Bible, it doesn't take long to see how sin totally destroys fellowship with God. In the Old Testament, you can see how God graciously provides ways for Israel to be back in fellowship with him through the keeping of laws, rituals, sacrifices. But John is saying that Jesus came, God in the flesh, to fix the broken fellowship between God and man once and for all. And so we better be thankful that Jesus is both fully God and fully man because it's really the only way that you and I have any hope. Without it, there would be no fellowship with God. Without the incarnation, there would be no atonement. Okay, another big word, sorry for that, but um, we can, let's go ahead and define atonement. Uh, atonement is a theological term for covering or, for, or forgiveness of sins through the shedding of blood. Covering or forgiveness of sins through the shedding of blood. If you look at Hebrews 9, 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so the great privilege that we have as new covenant believers, this side of the cross, is that Jesus has once and for all shed his blood in our place for our sins. Matthew 26, 28, he makes this bold claim. And so if Jesus did not become incarnate with flesh and blood and then offer up 
his flesh and blood in our place for our sins, then not only would the good news of the gospel have never come to the Gentiles, which is probably most of us in this room, God's people would still be stuck in a confusing, complex cycle of rituals and sacrifices. If you turn a few chapters over in 1 John, you're already there. It's probably just one page in your Bible. John simply states this in uh, 4, 9, 1 John 4, 9. He simply states the deep impact of Christ in the life of everyone who believes. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that, which means we ought to pay attention, so that we might live through him, that we might live in fellowship with the God of this universe. Again, mind-blowing. John is so overwhelmed that he doesn't say that which we heard, we seen, we experienced, we, we kind of selfishly held to ourselves. And he says more than once that that which we have been given, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship. And not only fellowship with God in Christ, but also fellowship, a deep and intimate fellowship with the church. So the natural response to this fellowship with God with Jesus Christ, his son, with the church, is this simple word, joy. But when John talks about joy, he's talking about an overflowing joy. Not the kind that puts on just a fake smile, but the kind that anchors your soul. The kind of joy that leads you to say and sing, it is well, in the midst of life's most challenging circumstances. It's the kind of joy that's not only an experience in itself, but it's also something that moves you to action. A shallow, incomplete joy says that Christmas is about a party to cover up the pain. But an overflowing joy says Christmas is about an eternal gain that no pain can ever shake. A shallow joy, incomplete joy, says that the here and now is all we have, so let's Live it up. But an overflowing joy says along with the psalmist in 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A shallow incomplete joy doesn't count on anyone but themselves. But an overflowing joy trusts Jesus when he says in John 1511, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you that your joy may be full. There are different ways to summarize the message and meaning of Christmas, but this sure is one that sticks out to me, that Christ came to give us a type of fullness of joy for what he has done in us and an overflowing joy for what he does through us. Again, Matthew Henry I think helpfully expounds on this deep overflowing joy with the quote that's written in your bulletin. He says this, he says, the benefits that Christ bestows are not like the scanty possessions of the world, causing jealousies in others. But the joy and the happiness of communion with God is all sufficient so that any number may partake of it. And all who are warranted to say that truly their fellowship is with the Father This is the overflowing part. We'll desire to lead others to partake of the same blessedness. 
So our question this morning is, is your joy overflowing to others? Remember the true meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of the incarnation, that God became man, that we could have fellowship with him. And that's huge news. We often, I often lack the eyes to see just how big that is. And so let's be encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember what the incarnation means for us. Fellowship and joy. Throughout his letter, John tells um, his readers, he says, there's going to be people who try and tell you all kinds of lies about Jesus. They're going to distort the truth. They're going to try to lead you astray. Some of these people will be people you thought you could trust. But don't listen to them. Stand firm in what you've heard from the very beginning about Christ. He is God in the flesh. We saw him. We touched him. I think that's a message we still need to hear today. Uh, So I've got three final statements that go along with some three final challenges that would encourage us all uh, to consider this morning. The first statement is, we need the truth. This world is full of lies, is full of liars trying to lead us astray and false teachers that actually claim to be within the church. And so we need to be very, very, very clear on what we believe. Very clear on what we believe. We need to be constantly coming back to the basics of our faith. So how do we do this? I think if you look at what Jesus says, first and foremost, this is through his word. In John 8, he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We abide in his word. The enemy would want nothing more for us to be distracted by the fun, but the false cultural elements of the season. And, we, and, and he would want nothing more for us to forget to dwell on and meditate on and to thank God for the true meaning of Christmas. This is a perfect time, perfect season to remember the incarnation. What does it mean that God actually became a man and dwelt among us? So challenge number one. I didn't actually put this on the bulletin. I should have, but I didn't. But challenge number one is to sit down sometime this year, this Christmas, for some focused time to think and to pray very personally and very biblically on how the incarnation of Christ impacts you. Let me say that again. I challenge you to sit down for some focused time to think and pray very personally and very biblically on how the incarnation of Christ impacts you. Number two. Not only do we need to remember the true meaning of Christmas, we need to be constantly reminding each other about the truth. So point two, one is we need the truth. Two is we need each other. So God in his goodness and as a reflection of his character made us communal creatures. We're meant to live in community. And there's no better community on earth than the brothers and sisters of Christ. In fact, our passage today makes the bold claim, one of those so that's, that, in, that Christ actually came so that we could be a part of this community. So let's not waste that opportunity. John Piper puts it like this, fellowship is a mutual bond that Christians have with Christ that puts us in a deep, eternal relationship with one another. 
And Paul knew the importance of this kind of fellowship. In uh, Romans 1.12, he describes a deep yearning to see the brothers and sisters in Rome, saying that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. How many of us need to be encouraged this morning? So challenge number two. This requires a bit more action. I'd love us all to think tangibly about a way that you could express your fellowship in the church community this year. Maybe there's someone you could bless in a special way. Maybe there's a special way you could serve the church this year. Maybe there's someone you need to repent to and ask forgiveness from. Whatever it is, I challenge you to, th- to think about that this year and don't let Christmas Day come without following through on it. A tangible way you could express your fellowship with our church this year. And finally, we need the truth, we need each other, and it seems pretty obvious, we need Christ. It can't be said enough, we need Christ. This passage does not describe Jesus as a way to eternal life. This passage and many more in, in scriptures describe Jesus as the way to eternal life. This is probably the most offensive part of Christianity, the exclusivity of Christ, that you cannot follow Jesus and something else. There's no other way to have fellowship with God. Jesus said himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one else comes to the Father except through me. The incarnation of Christ requires a response. God becoming flesh is good news. It's actually the best news for those who would believe and commit their lives to Christ. It means fellowship and joy with the creator of the universe. And so challenge number three, read the rest of 1 John. Uh, I'd encourage us all this week. It's short. It's only five chapters. Uh, Maybe you get a snow day here, but um, even if you don't, you can sit down, you can read it in one sitting. The rest of 1 John and ask the Holy Spirit and perhaps a family member or a friend, if your life reflects the life described in this letter? It's a tough question, convicting question, um, but ask if your life reflects this life of abiding in Christ. The rest of 1 John talks this out very, um, very tangibly, so I'd encourage us all to read it. But let me be very, very clear. In this letter, the Bible says that those who deny Christ have no fellowship and no joy eternally. And so if that's you this morning, then this is your challenge. Consider the implications of this passage. Consider the emptiness of all the other attempts that we talked about to to talk about the meaning of Christmas. Consider the true meaning of Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, that God became man. Respond to the fact that Christ came to give fellowship and joy to all those who would confess that he is Lord. That he is the King of kings. That he is the Savior of the world. And our favorite title around Christmas, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the incarnation. We thank you for graciously sending your son to live among us, to offer up his body and his blood in our place, that we could just get a glimpse of your glory. How gracious. And that we would have the privilege of fellowship with you and with each other 
and an overflowing joy of eternal life. Lord, by your spirit, would you drive that joy so deep in us as an anchor to our souls that no matter what you would call us to walk through in this life, no matter how heartbreaking, no matter how challenging, that we would not despair, but instead we'd find great comfort and peace in the true meaning of Christmas. Lord, help us to enjoy this season, celebrating more than anything the fellowship and the joy that we have in Christ, which is truly life-changing. Lord, I pray that for someone in here today that this year might be life-changing as well through faith in Christ. Pray in his name. Amen. I want to read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, as we prepare for...